Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you are listening to The Bill Podcast, brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, mcgoldrickwatchrepairs.com, and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, cast and crew commentaries, reaction videos, pilgrimage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts, and much more, join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Bill Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Bill Podcast, episode 106. For the last five years, I've done my best to treat you all to a Christmas special podcast with one very special guest. This year, thanks to our friends and sponsors, Misty Moon Events, you get three Christmas special podcasts with eight special guests, as we are pleased to present highlights from The Bill Reunion 7, which took place at London Cinema Museum on Saturday, November the 12th, 2022. It was, in my humble opinion, the greatest reunion held so far to a packed and appreciative audience with a stellar lineup on stage. These events really have become the hottest ticket in town for Bill fans, and at the end of this podcast, I'll be telling you how to book tickets for the Bill Reunion 8, which will be taking place on Saturday, the 15th of April 2023. These tickets do sell very fast indeed, so make sure you book early. Selling even quicker are tickets for Suzanne Maddock from Liverpool to London via the rest of the world, which is Suzanne's upcoming one-woman theatre show, where as well as discussing her life and career and how she landed the role of Cass Rickman, she will also be singing, which she talks about in her interview, which you'll be hearing shortly. You won't want to miss this one-off show, also being produced by Misty Moon Events. It's taking place in the afternoon at three o'clock on Saturday 29th of January 2023 at the Phoenix Arts Club in Leicester Square. There's a link in the description of this podcast and I'll also be reading out the website to book tickets at the end of this podcast. Before we begin, I must say a huge thank you to both Phil Clark and Graham Gertner, the technical team at the Cinema Museum, who not only organised all the sound and the lighting, they very kindly, as a bonus, recorded the Q&A so that we'd be able to share the evening with those of you who weren't able to attend. So huge thanks to Phil and Graham, who were brilliant support on what was a very special evening. In part one of this Christmas special, you'll be hearing the first half hour of the Q&A featuring Suzanne Maddock, Lisa Gagan and Tom Butcher, plus a very special guest who was a bonus guest on the night, one of the longest serving The Bill directors, Mr John Bruce. So here we go. Highlights from Misty Moon Events, The Bill Reunion 7, which after a lovely video introduction edited by Mr Martin Rudman, the evening opened with the main man himself taking to the stage, the curator of Misty Moon, executive producer and sponsor of The Bill podcast, Mr Stuart Morris, who began the evening by paying tribute to a long-term supporter of Misty Moon and fan of The Bill, Mr Jeff Lloyd, who sadly passed away earlier this year.
Hello folks, welcome to the beautiful Cinema Museum and Misty Moon's The Bill Reunion 7. Um, as you can see, tonight is dedicated to our friend and a lot of you probably would recognise him. He used to come to all our Bill Reunions and he used to help out at Misty Moon, Jeff Lloyd. Now he passed away a couple of weeks ago after a very short illness. And when I say very short illness, literally three weeks. Um, and so he was a big fan of the Bill but more Graham and a couple of years ago he said the best thing he'd want for his birthday was for us to take Graham just to the pub his local pub to have a drink with him but I, we went one better so we took Graham down there we did his one-man show and I've never seen one man Jeff himself running around looking so happy that he had his hero and his icon in his local pub so this is for you tonight Jeff Right, with no further ado, I'm going to bring up my partner in crime for tonight. You all know him as the Bill historian, Oliver Crocker. Thank you, mate. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cinema Museum. And my huge thanks to Stuart and Jen for inviting me back to co-host this evening and for all your support of the Bill podcast. Stuart and Jen, Missy Moon Events are sponsors of the Bill podcast. And it is Simon McGoldrick in here? Yes, hello sir. Simon McGoldrick is also a sponsor of the Bill podcast. He's a brilliant watch repairer. So if any of you ever need a watch repairing, Simon is your man. It's lovely to see you here, Simon. And thank you, Stuart and Jen. The Bill podcast, would you believe, it's been going five years and has now been played over 300,000 times. So thank you all of you who support the podcast and thank you to all of you who have given marvelous interviews and we've got some fantastic memories to share with you this evening we do have a special surprise guest because I thought a kickoff was something a little bit special who in here remembers the episode Fatak? robert hudson gave a phenomenal performance as pc yorkie smith who has to deal with a horrendous accident and last year the billeton which is a brilliant fan site the fans voted it in a poll as the most memorable episode of the bill ever made. And excitingly tonight, the director, John Bruce, is here to share a few memories about Fatak with you. So will you please give a huge round of applause and welcome Mr. John Bruce. Thank you so much for being here. Now, John uh, is one of the longest-serving directors of the bill. He worked on the series for 12 years, directed 33 episodes, and Fatak was your very first episode of the bill. How did you feel about certainly going in at the deep end with this amazing, huge crash scene? Take us back. What are your memories of Fatak, John? Well, firstly, it's a delight and an honor, actually, to be here. It's so fantastic. Fatak, what an incredible episode. What's so great about the bill? is that it's all believable. That's so vital because now a lot of drama, I think you just think, oh, come on, do me a favor. You know, I just don't believe that. But with a bill, I can honestly say that every episode is totally believable. And with Fatak, this was an incredible situation, as a lot of you will remember. A small car actually drove underneath a huge truck but it was in a quiet area. It was on a bus route, but it was a very quiet area. And of course, there were no police around. And so this particular policeman that I'm talking about, he was called to the area to deal with the situation. There's this car underneath this huge lorry. And in the back window, there's baby on board. 
And as the bus was going through, the bus driver said, that's my wife's car. And that, for me, was believable and absolutely horrific. A great episode. It's my favorite. <laughs> was brilliantly written. The crew was absolutely superb. Everything about it was absolutely spot on. And um, I'm so glad that I did it. Speaking personally about my time at the Bill, it did remind me, and don't get the wrong idea, it did remind me a lot of my army days. <laughs> it was the whole kind of brotherhood and the friends and what you could do and how you could send up everybody and it didn't matter how hell, you know. You had a good time. There was a lot of that in the Bill, uh, which I never really got in any other things that I worked on. What a great show to do, because they were all separate stories. But it was absolutely perfect. I loved working there. The restaurant was fantastic. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I loved the smoking room. <laughs> but I gave all that up in 1996. <laughs> I loved all that. It was a very, very special time. It was a high point of my career. The Bill was a high point of my career. Let's hear it for John Bruce, ladies and gents. Thank you ever so much, John. Let's welcome up our next guest, ladies and gentlemen. A superb actress who, as well as giving knockout performances on the big and small screens, is about to take to the stage in her own brand new theatre show. She's still number one on the Bill podcast charts. Make some noise for the brilliant Suzanne Maddock. Hi, everybody. Misty Moon Events are putting on a special show in January with you. Tell us all about it. Not many people know. I've always sort of struggled with admitting that I'm a singer. So before I was ever on the bill, which I did, as you probably know now, those of you who've been here a few times, I never trained. I didn't go to drama school. I was sort of plucked from, from nowhere, really. I attended an interview uh, with Alan Bleasdale and ended up getting the lead part in this film. And from there, it went on and on and on and on and worked with some major people. Before I was on the bill, I used to front a couple of bands. I was a singer. Uh, before, Literally the week before I got the bill, I auditioned with Benny and Bjorn from ABBA for Mamma Mia. No. And I was down to the last five girls as the daughter. And because I never did dance, I didn't train as an actor, I didn't get the part. Uh, and it went to a great girl who trained at Lipper, a Norwegian actress. She got the part in, in the first ever of a run of that. I've worked with Elvis Costello. Uh, I've done music with him. My band supported him in Liverpool because he's a great fan of Bleasdale, who's like a really good pal of mine. So we sort of got in the back door there a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm a singer, but I've never really done anything with it. I sing at home, drive my family mad. <laughs> and, you know, now and then we're on holiday and there's a karaoke and my husband goes, go on, get up. But if I've had a beer, I can't sing. So that's uh, non-alcoholic. I, I don't drink if I'm going to perform in front of people. Um, and I usually get up and I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but there's usually just people going. But I'm so nervous. Like, I really struggle with it. So I'm facing my fear. I'm going to do this show with Stuart and Jan, Misty Moon. Hopefully people will come. It's a bit like, you know, Graham Cole's show that he does, So You Think You Know Me. It's like that, but it, it's me, not Graham. So I'm going to be doing quite a few songs, quite a few numbers. 
and hopefully everybody enjoys it. And it's on 29th of January, 3pm, at the Phoenix Arts Club. And yes. you're going to be talking about your career as well. Yeah, it's not just me singing. It's about how I got there, really, to be on the bill and a few jobs beyond that. But people don't know as well that I do a load of charity work. So uh, while I was on the bill, it was uh, Matt Crompton, who, uh, Sam, get, Harker. Sam Harker, who said uh, we were in a dressing room next to each other, and he mentioned that he was going to go and climb Kilimanjaro. And I know we've done a podcast about this with Natalie Rolls and myself. So I, I did that. Then I went on and did Everest with my husband, who uh, suffers with vertigo. So I, cl- <laughs> I got him to climb Mount Everest with me, wow. uh, as you do. <laughs> and uh, I tracked the Great Wall of China. I've run various marathons. John was just saying about uh, the bill being a bit like the army. I think that's why I liked it. I think if I ever came back again, I'd definitely go into the armed forces because I'm, I'm going for my black belt next year. <laughs> Uh, so I do, I, I like a bit of combat, my poor husband. And yeah, I, I love charity work. I've, I've, I've wanted to get on that SAS programme, you know, the, the celebrity SAS, but I'm just not a celebrity anymore. I really haven't got a profile. They'd never pick me, but I think I'd be able to do it. Well, I think <laughs> the people in this room would disagree. I think you're a legend, <laughs> so we need to make it happen. And something else you've been involved with, which is very close to your heart, is the Manx Beauty would you mind telling us all about the Manx Beauty? Yeah, so that's a bit, well, it's more charity work. And it links it actually with Graham Cole's uh, charity, which is PTSD 999. There's a great film that uh, we had in the Misty Moon Film Festival last week, for, or a couple of weeks ago, for those of you who are here, called Broken Glass, that Graham starred in. And um, we've linked in the Manx Beauty, which I'll explain what that is, to PTSD 999. And what it is, my, my dad... Um, and my granddad and his dad were all fishermen, so they, had, they were trawlermen. And we had a boat in our family from when I was a little girl. My granddad lived on it in Carnarvon in Wales. And this boat, it's got major historical significance. I won't go into the detail now, but basically um, it's one of a kind. And it, the build of it and the wood that was used, and it's 80 years old, this boat, and it's got loads of historical significance with the war and things like that. But it, it was built in Celladike up in Scotland. And then it travelled the world and, and ended up as my granddad's boat, then my dad's boat. So that boat is the reason I can't get on boats these days because my dad used to take me out in like four sevens. and I'd be like, <laughs> So I hate boats now. But the, the Manx Beauty's been taken back to Celladike. We've donated it to the Celladike Trust and it's being restored. So it's going through at the moment for lottery funding. So it needs a lot of money to restore it back to its natural glory. And it's actually going to be, once we get the funding... Like a, a village boat that is for the arts, for theatre, uh, for people in respite for PTSD 999 uh, to go and stay aboard. It will be, it will have theatre shows built around it, lots of Scottish music. And the most bizarre thing is Andy Mack <laughs> was born in Saladike and he's now on board with it. Uh, excuse the pun there. We're getting together and actually writing a song together about the Manx Beauty. Oh. Uh, and hopefully it will all just come together and, and slot together and we get the funding. And in about six years' time, we'll be taking the boat around the country to all different festivals. DS Greg and Cass Rickman on a, on a UK you? tour <laughs> on a boat. That's fantastic. Well, the nice thing when you joined the bill as Cass Rickman, I mean, we talked about this, you know, because you were a cast member who had grown up watching the bill. So... You were working with these legends. 
Well, I've, I've always sort of, uh, I've got, uh, what do they call it, imposter syndrome. I suffered terribly with it. So I so I'm used to even sitting here now and I'm looking at, you know, the, the faces of the people on the bill and thinking, why am I here with these people? <laughs> it's really weird. So my first day on the bill, you know, seeing Eric, Graham, Lisa, just was mind-blowing. Still is, you know, it's it's just bizarre, the whole thing. Well, let's get one of those legends up here now, one of the staples of the bill, an absolutely fantastic actress who sent Twitter ablaze at the end of last year when she made a special guest appearance on Albert Square. She's a national treasure. Make some noise for the legendary Lisa Gagan. Hello. Great to meet you in person. I feel like I've met you, but obviously we haven't actually met. Oh, oh it's lovely being here. EastEnders. Oh, darling. Well, there was a bit of fun in your family over oh, this, wasn't there? Honestly, it was hilarious. In my house, it was kind of like maybe the best thing that had ever happened. I was, so I get this tiny, 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 tiny part on EastEnders, and I'm thrilled to go and do it. And I think, oh, yeah, lovely day out. It was during COVID, so I didn't meet anyone. I didn't get my hair done. I didn't get my... And we were on location. But anyway, did it, really enjoyed it. Came home. They swear you to secrecy on these things. You have to have a code for a code for a code to find out what your lines are going to be and all sorts. Anyway, so I said to my husband, we won't say anything to anyone. We won't tell the kids. We just won't mention it because it's so little. I don't want everyone going, oh, you know what it's like. So there we're going, oh, are you in it again? So I just thought, I won't say anything. So anyway, it's New Year's Eve, it happened to be. It's going out on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, we were going out, so I recorded it. Next morning, Oliver, my big boy, who's 20, he's home from uni, and me and him watch EastEnders, like it's our thing. So he's like saying, right, family day, family day, New Year's Day, New Year's Day. We're watching Soccer AM. Then we're watching EastEnders, yeah, family day, his day. Family Day, uh, <laughs> Soccer AM, EastEnders, and then a movie. I can't remember what the movie was. Beverly Hills Cop or something that he loves. Sounds anyway, like a great day. <laughs> yeah. So my youngest, Harry, who's 15, has got no interest in basically anything on the telly. <laughs> he wants to be on his games console talking to his mates the whole time. So Oliver had talked him into this family. They come on, come on, Harry, we're all going to be together. So we're all on the sofa, we watch Soccer AM, and now comes EastEnders. So I was thinking, oh, this is going to be so funny, you know, they're going to freak. So anyway, EastEnders comes on and Harry's sitting there like, oh, because he's been forced by Oliver to watch it. Oh, who's that? I don't get it. I'm so confused. Every three minutes, all you can hear is Harry saying, I'm so confused. And you can hear, it's a running commentary with Oliver saying, oh, that's Janine. She, <laughs> she's a bitch. Oliver, she's evil. She's evil. Oh, and there's Phil, Harry, and going through this commentary. The whole time. Anyway, so I know it's my little bit coming up now. So I just sort of squeeze Michael's hand because he's sitting next to me. So we sort of don't look at the screen. We're looking at them. And you hear my voice first. And you just hear the, both of them, their heads just both go <laughs> to me. And then they look back at the screen. And then you just hear Oliver going, what the? F I'm Oliver. <laughs> and Harry's going, I'm so confused now. I'm really confused. But they absolutely went mad. I mean, they, had, they were like hugging me. And my husband actually said to him, I, I must have heard him say it about seven times, mummy has been on the telly before. <laughs> and they're like, no, oh, because when they were so little, to them it's just, you know, anything in the past, 
Doesn't, mm. It could be a thousand years ago. It doesn't count. So to actually see me, and I thought, oh my God, look how they're reacting. It was a great day. They loved it. It's really good fun for us. I mean, for you both, your boys, what is the bill to them? Like, how, what do they make of the fact that everyone in this room knows you're legends? I tell them that I'm a legend and they don't <laughs> believe me. <laughs> Yeah. Your mum's used to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my two, they're not fast, except for EastEnders, the one part, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they're not, they're not really, I, you know, I try, I force them to watch it sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, come on, just watch this. There's my, talking to me, mate, on the thing. So, yeah, they're not really that impressed by it all. My two sort of, we have the bill on sometimes. You know, if there's a big episode and somebody's texting me to go, you're on, it's usually you or someone. Yeah. Says, yeah. It's a big episode of yours, so I'll put it on and I'll see what the kids do. But they're just not, they don't really get it, I don't think. No. Whether they're too young, they're 11 and 7. Whether they're too young, I don't know. But I remember when Douglas was little, and I'm sort of doing ironing or something in the lounge, and um, I heard him go, oh, mummy's on the telly. And I thought, oh, turn round. And it was Nanny McPhee. <laughs> and it was the bit where she's dead ugly at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, thanks for that. Oh, so that's what I get. <laughs> I remember when Oliver was young and he, um, he was coming home from school and it was, he was in, it must have been year six because he was allowed to walk home alone. It was like the first day he's walking home alone from school. It's only around the corner. So he's walking home, he got in, we were waiting at the door because it's a big day, him walking the three steps home. And, whoa, big boy, walk time, da, 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 da. He said, yeah, he said, I was smiling at people but nobody smiled back. We were like, whoa, what do you mean you're smiling at people? Why would you smile at people? He said, well, because when we walk home from school, everybody says, smiles and says, oh, hello, all right. And I thought, oh, my God. I said, oh, Oliver, that's because they've seen me on the telly back then. He said, well, don't. He said, but you said you didn't know him. So I just smile at people. I said, oh, my God, this is so confusing, explaining it to him. Because he was little, but then he realised he's a bit more savvy now, thank God. When you guys were working together on the bill, the bill had returned to its original hour-long format, and you were working together through two uh, sort of seismic changes in the bill. You had executive producer Richard Hanford, who brought the characters, the regular characters, to the front and centre of the stories. Mm. And then Paul Marquess took the show even further, and there was lots of drama in the station, you know, as well as out on the streets. Um, what are your memories of that time, that shift between the Hanford era and the Marquis era, and do you have a preference? Because these episodes are currently being shown on the Drama Channel now, and people are going mad for them. Suzanne's got it on Twitter, people saying, oh, this episode's on, this episode's on, you know. Yeah. The whole journey of the bill was brilliant, but I loved it when Richard Hanford was the producer. Yeah, me too. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Like, when you know when people say there's an open door, there really was an open door with Richard, wasn't there? Yeah. You could go in and say, you know, like, he would tell you in advance where things were going. It wasn't a shock. He'd let you know what was happening. You could say, do you think that would really happen? And he'd say, oh, yeah, he'd listen. Yeah. He was brilliant, wasn't he? He was. You felt like he was really approachable. Michael Chapman, of course, was brilliant. And, and Paul Marquez, I didn't know that well because it was at the end, but he was still nice. But Richard... And I guess because Richard had been with us all the time working before he was the producer, we kind of knew him on that level. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed it when it went to, you know, suddenly, like, we've got a backstory, a little bit more soapy. Yeah, I think you? I agree. I preferred the Richard Hanford's era. Yeah. For me, and I know my family would say, that's proper Bill. That's the proper Bill, that girl. Yeah. And for me, it was. 
Yeah. And I was really lucky enough to have really great storylines in both eras. But I just think it was, for me personally, it was just my opinion, when Paul Marquis came in, it was the sensationalism of the storylines. They just got a little bit silly. And for me, the bill was always, as, as John said earlier, standalone, you know, all about the characters. And it was great having backstories because it gave the yeah. actors something to really get into. But at the same time, it just went a bit soft. Mm. And I was glad to leave before I ended up doing something like really ridiculous <laughs> that I would have been cringing about. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it was like a little play, as Eric always says. You're doing a... It's a, it's a play. Mm. It's like a play for today. Yeah. But mm. when Paul Marquez came in, it was so ongoing. You know, you were filming a scene that related to something that you'd done six weeks ago, pick up shots and... It was all very, a little bit confusing, wasn't it? Because yeah. it was an ongoing storyline that maybe you left and then you come back to. And Well, let's go from the hour longs to the half hours now and welcome up our next guest. A fantastic actor. I'm so excited to bring him up. He spent 475 of those half hour episodes very much in the fast lane of Sun Hill. This year he's been back on stage in a national tour of A Murderer's Announced. And we've got a cheeky new film role to tell you about tonight as well. Ladies and gents, making his Misty Moon debut, make some noise for the phenomenal Tom Butcher. <laughs> butcher, butcher. Hello, hello. Do you want this? <laughs> Good well, evening, people. Welcome to the Cinema Museum, Tom. I've got a brand new film coming out. So I haven't really got a brand new film. I'm in a brand new film that someone else has got coming out. <laughs> a guy called Jim Eaves. He, he makes films with his own money and his own enthusiasm, well, and as much money as other people can give to him. Um, and this one's a, a horror, mystery, thriller kind of thing called Apocalypse Box about a very ambitious politician who puts his uh, competitors into a room with a very ancient box that makes you think very carefully about what you might wish for. And it's filmed uh, in Southampton. And I did some... Uh, the scenes I was involved in were in Southampton University in the reception area where they got this kind of spaceship. That's where uh, my son Yeah, it's an amazing it. building, it's isn't it? Yeah, it's and we were filming in, it's like being inside a giant red insect. Yes. <laughs> and uh, very futuristic and um, very exciting. And I think it'll look fantastic. Oh, wow, that's so, exciting. And I don't know when it's coming out. It's, um, I think it's still in the edit at the moment. The apocalypse but, box uh, coming yeah. soon. We tried to get him to drop the the. Apocalypse Box, we thought, was a yeah. much better title. But I think, for reasons I don't understand, he's attached to the... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Right, <laughs> Bill. You've been back on stage? I have. I had been working with a company called Middle Ground Theatre Company uh, for a long time. And I was playing Inspector Craddock in A Murder Is Announced. And we were halfway through a tour when all the lockdowns happened, so... That got postponed, and then we went back out on tour for another 12 weeks. Um, I love touring theatre. I loved that particular job, travelling all over the country, and uh, we went to Ireland as well. And um, we worked in the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin, and they loved it, and they came in big numbers. There's nothing like being in a theatre when you've got people in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen all that often, <laughs> but when it does, it's, it's worth it. 
it really is. Yeah, that tour has ended now because the rights have uh, become available on the open market. That was the one Agatha Christie that was a kind of free-floating set of rights that Mike managed to secure for a certain number of years. And so they, they've gone to someone very wealthy who's going to put a lot of money behind it and make a lot of money from it, I should think. I haven't told you this. I, I interviewed uh, one of the longest-serving writers of the bill this year, Jonathan Rich. He wrote for 20 years on the bill. And mm. um, when I asked him what some of his favourite characters were to write for, he said, well, the fun thing is that once you'd got the character Bibles, then you got a chance to go in and meet some of the actors. And he said, who I enjoyed writing for was Steve Loxton, because Tom Butcher is nothing like Steve Loxton. Once he'd met you, he realises oh. what a great acting performer he is. And... How much do you feel you had in common with Steve? What was he like to play? Well, I should think probably Steve was the girl in me. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, he must have been in there somewhere. It's just uh, something that I probably decided it was best not to make that my predominant feature in private. Because like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have got very far. But uh, no, I think I was, a, I was a confused young lad, I think. I had a weird kind of childhood and there was a lot of turmoil and chaos around me when I grew up so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there was a lot of turmoil in me that Loxton was a, a kind of therapeutic outlet for wouldn't surprise me at all because I think the reason I got into acting in the first place was an English teacher thought that it would be a good way of giving my unruliness some kind of outlet oh, yeah. I was in A Man for All Seasons, King Henry VIII, and I came on with yellow tights, and someone laughed in the <laughs> audience. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, yeah, that's okay, but I don't mind. I thought, oh, great, result, I got a, I got a reaction. But yeah, I, I think I loved being in school plays, and that's where it all started. English teacher got me up out of my desk and said, uh, be in a play. I said, yeah, okay. It was the only thing I didn't mind going back to school for. After, after school finished. Other, it, before that, it was detention, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but once we went back for rehearsals, I'd, I'd go back at a drop of a hat, stay there all night rehearsing and, and uh, trying to figure out why people did the things they did. That's, that's the joy. Mm. That's the joy of the rehearsal process. Why, why do people do this? Why didn't they do that? Why has he, why has he not got a line here? Surely you should be saying something here. Why is he shut up? Yeah, just just the mystery of why people behave the way they do. It's uh, it's fascinating. When we recorded a commentary together uh, for the podcast, we looked at an episode called The Chase, which is a great yes. Loxton episode. And in true generous fashion, you didn't talk about your, your own performance. You praised that of Chris Ellison as Burnside. I know quite a, a funny story of your first scene working with Chris. I oh, wondered yeah. if... If you'd be up for sharing with uh, us. Well, I was very nervous. He was a hero of mine because I'd seen the bill and I thought, Burnside, he is the bill. He is, he is the famous face that everyone associates the bill. I did, certainly. And I had, a, I had a scene where I had to walk up a corridor with a sheaf of notes for him and say, oh, sorry, I've got the notes or whatever. And uh, I was very nervous because it was one of my early scenes. And uh, he decided he was going to play a joke on me. And I, I came around the corner to present him with this sheaf of notes. So Sarge, I've got the... And he had fuck off written <laughs> on his closed eyes. <laughs> and I, I just completely dissolved. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. But uh, I thought it was... What a lovely thing that he thought that I was prankable. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was the greatest compliment anyone could give me, that he thought I'm prankable yeah. like that. 
Welcome or maybe board. he just didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was one of my early moments of, uh, of uh, memory for Chris Ellison. Do you as well? Yeah, Louise had a cold sore. Just a cold, little cold sore. She had it on her chin. She came in, oh, there's a big drama. He got a broom. I mean, she was all obviously self-conscious. We were all saying, you can't notice it, you can't see it. He got a broom, put makeup on the broom, and stood with the broom going, you need some of this. And she was nearly crying. It was so funny. My huge thanks to Stuart and Jen Morris of Misty Moon Events, Phil Clark and Graham Gertner of the Cinema Museum, plus both Martin Rudman and Andrew Ruff for your support on the evening. And of course, our huge gratitude to the legends of the Bill and a very appreciative audience. Tickets for the Bill Reunion 8 can be purchased from cinemamuseum.org.uk. The headline guest will be PC Tony Stamp himself, the mighty Graham Cole OBE. And the reunion will be taking place on Saturday the 15th of April 2023 at the Cinema Museum in London. The closest tube station is Kennington. Also, tickets for Suzanne Maddock from Liverpool to London via the rest of the world can be purchased from phoenixartsclub.com. This very special show will be taking place at 3 o'clock on Saturday 29th of January 2023 in the Phoenix Arts Club. That's between Tottenham Court Road and Leicester Square Tube Stations. Over half of the tickets have already gone, so don't miss out on this very special one-off show. There'll be more to come in part two of this Christmas special trilogy, which will be launching on Christmas Day. And we'll be picking up with a Q&A continued with producer Tony Virgo, original cast member Ashley Gunstock and our guest of honour on the night, Mr Eric Richard, taking to the stage and joining the lineup. Oh, and we might have had a special surprise guest on the evening as well. You'll have to look forward to that next week as well. In the meantime, I'll hand you over now to the dulcet tones of the annoyingly handsome Mr Ben Payton. Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Sarah Kuyper, Alex Mockler, Laura Pinifay and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Ben Ashmore, Joseph Beaver, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Dan Evans, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett. James Ledane, Simon McGoldrick, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Michael Weil and Sarah Went. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, McGoldrickWatchRepairs.com and Misty Moon Events. For over 60 hours of exclusive The Bill-related content, including reunion highlights, reaction videos, cast and crew commentaries, pilgrimage location videos, off-the-beat bonus podcasts, and much more. Join the investigation from £2.49 a month at patreon.com forward slash the build podcast.